talk about fear here in a minute, so if you're afraid for any reason, I'm glad you're here. Uh, but before I get into preaching a sermon, I, I want to acknowledge something. It's a big deal. Uh, across all locations, if you don't know this, we have more than one location gathering on a weekend. We have fellas at RCMU. Hi, fellas. Uh, we have folks at East and West. All across all locations, people are getting baptized this weekend. If you don't know what baptism is, don't worry. I will share that with you. Uh, but I think you need to know that. A lot of times what we see and what we experience, we wonder if others are seeing and experiencing the same thing. The answer is yes. And so across the whole area, in fact, there's even folks online, uh, probably my mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, how you doing? Uh, maybe you've got them too. People queue in from, from all over, uh, deployed airmen. It's awesome. But we're all talking about fear. So here's how I'm going to go about this. I'm going to ask you a question. Don't answer out loud because it well, I don't want to embarrass you. Okay, so here, here. Uh, how easily do you trust other people? Just think about it for a second. How easily do you find it where you trust other people? Maybe it's someone you meet that's new. They get introduced to you. Or are you typically like sizing them up? Like, I don't know if I can trust you. Some of you, you give like every ounce of trust from the very beginning. Just everyone you trust and, and we're worried for you, uh, Right? <laughs> Think about, think about any moment in your life that you've ever like handed trust over to someone. All of us have done this. Every one of us have done this. Where you're like, I am going to trust you. I'm going to put my well-being into your hands. I found, I found something that uh, I've never heard of before. And, and rather than ruin the story, because I could tell you the story, I'll ruin it. It won't be near as good. Uh, the the police officer that was involved, which will help you a little bit here, the police officer that was involved tells the story in 90 seconds, uh, and you'll see what I mean. Just, just take a look. We have a once-in-a-lifetime situation that you'll probably never see or hear about again. There's a gentleman who works for a contracting company because this, this bank has been shut down, and I guess they're going to remodel it, and, uh, and somebody's going to put another bank in there. Well, this gentleman was an employee of the contracting company that was supposed to fix some of the equipment inside the ATM room. So he leaves his phone in his truck. He's installing a new lock on the door, and he gets locked inside the building, inside the little area where the ATM machine is. He can't get out. He can't call anybody because his phone is in his truck. So people are coming by using the ATM machine because it's still operational. And he's slipping notes through the ATM, through the receipt, where you would get your receipt, saying, please help, I'm stuck in the machine. And people are thinking it's a joke, but somebody took it serious and called us. We come out here, and sure enough, we can hear a little voice coming from the machine. So we're all thinking this is a joke. It's got to be a joke. But it was true. There was an employee that was there, and uh, when he was installing the, the lock, it's an, uh, a magnetic electronic lock, and it, it wasn't working correctly, and he couldn't get out. So the officers that got here are actually yelling to him through the ATM machine, 
as if a little guy was stuck inside the machine. So we got a hold of him. He gave us a phone number to call his supervisor. His supervisor came through here. We actually had to kick the door in to get him out. So everybody's okay, but you'll never see this again in your life that somebody's stuck in the ATM machine. It was just crazy. Yeah, some of you thought you were having a bad day, right? You're like, now just so we're clear, because I don't know if you caught it. I've, I've watched it several times. I've read articles about this. There wasn't just one note written sent through the ATM receipt part, and one person got it and intervened. You know that, right? I, hopefully you caught that. There were multiple notes that had to be written. Have you, can you imagine being in that position going, this is not good. This is bad. It's that moment where you recognize this is not a simple open up the door. You write the note. You put, you put your trust in another human being, and they walk away. And then you do it again. How, how, how long till you're like, see, mankind has failed. We're all miserable, right? All of us, all of us, at one moment, have put our trust and our confidence in another person, right? Do you know another word for that? Faith. Faith is simply trust or confidence. Now, I know a lot of times we talk about faith in context of God, and we talk about even the Bible defines faith. It's about what you can't see and what you can't control. But I want you to understand that on a daily basis, not even necessarily on purpose, but you and I are regularly putting our, our faith in another person, another thing, you're hoping things function and people function the way they should. Trust and confidence. But not all of us do this well. A lot of us, a lot of us have a fear of doing this. A lot of us are afraid because justifiably so, someone betrayed us. Someone didn't come through. You gave them the note, and it went nowhere. And so many of us, we don't like to trust. We don't like to put faith in other people. And so here is the conflict. You'll appreciate this as good South Dakotans. This is the tension. Faith versus self-reliance. And if we're willing to admit, those of us who enjoy being up north, we're like, mm, that's, I want some of that. Self-reliance. We teach our kids at, at times, like, this is what you need to do. I'm not going to pay for you for the rest of your life kind of thing, right? It, it's at least the goal that one day they're, they're self-reliant, right? We, we see that it's healthy. It's good. The problem is if you take it too far, you can't have relationships. You can't. If you're so self-reliant that, that you're, you're no longer going to uh, uh, depend on someone, have someone else's help in your life, if you're not going to give them any trust and confidence, you're going to be by yourself, isolated, and that's a whole mess of things that then unfold. Hmm. Now, some of us think uh, we question ourselves, especially when it comes to God. Let's talk about God. Faith in God, trust and confidence in God. Not being self-reliant, but, but God-reliant, having faith in him. And here's what I know about you because I've had this conversation so many times. Many, many of us, many of us right now are not sure. We're not sure if we even have faith in God because we have, we have doubts. So I thought it would uh, um, clear something up very quickly. The, the opposite of faith is not doubt. It's self-reliance. If it comes to God, when we're talking about God, 
If you're like, do I or do I not have faith in God? If you've ever been afraid of trusting God, join the party. <laughs> the moments where you read something in the Bible, you're like, I think God wants me to do this, but I don't, I don't know how to do that. And, and that's I forgiving someone that really hurt you. I don't, I don't know. If you've, ever, if you've ever wrestled with this and doubts, like, I wonder, I don't know about God. I'm not sure. And I got these doubts. That's not compromising your faith. When you conclude that you don't need God, that means you don't trust God. And that's the problem. There's a story I want to share with you. It's a story that's all about self-reliance and problems. And we get, a, we get a peek into the story. It really happened, by the way. In fact, here's how the story begins. I'll give you context. There's, there's three nations, Israel, Judah, and Edom, a long time ago. And, and they are getting robbed by another, let's just call them the bad nation. They're, they're, they're getting robbed. So they join forces, and they're like, all right, we got to go take care of this, these people. They're, they're robbing from us. So they, they join forces. You've seen this. You've heard of this kind of a thing. Maybe you did it on the playground. Someone hurt you, so you join forces. And you, and you go, like, we, we're going to take care of this. And, and they actually even know that God's like, yeah, I want you to take care of this. And so they assemble, the three nations assemble their armies, and they begin like, let's go. Let's go take care of these people who are robbing us. Let me, let me start reading to you in the Bible some of this. The king of Edom and his troops joined them, and all three armies traveled along the roundabout route through the wilderness, through the wilderness for seven days. But there was no water for the men or their animals. Yes, bad planning, Okay. Yes, you're like, let's go. And seven days in the wilderness, no water for the animals or themselves. Yes, bad planning. Some of us fire the captain, right? Let's, this is not working. But all of a sudden, they find themselves in a major problem. It sounds a lot like the guy in the ATM room. Not a predicted, not an anticipated problem, but find themselves in the midst of a problem, a need. Oh, no. See, See, when you and I find ourselves in the midst of a need, what do you and I have a tendency to do? We either become super self-reliant or we put trust in someone. I love the parallel between the, the guy. I'd love to meet the guy from the ATM machine. I'm like, what were you thinking as people walked away? And then now you've got these armies who are going to battle but no longer have water. I don't need to go into the science about water. You know this, you need water to survive. But not just survive, can you imagine showing up to a battle where your life is on the line and you are weak because you've not been nourished? I love the Bible and how relevant it is. It brings up, we all have problems. We all have needs. We all have moments, whether we planned them or didn't. And we're like, I need help. So... <laughs> One of the officers is like, all right, we got a problem. Obviously, we're either going to die out here or die when we get to the battle. Um, here's the deal. we got to talk to a prophet. See, back then, uh, there was a prophet. God would talk to the prophet. The prophet would tell everybody what God said. And so they relied on the prophet. Well, one of the officers is like, okay, we obviously have a problem. We're all going to die. This is all miserable. We need to go to the man of God, Elisha, the prophet. He's with us. He's around us. Let's go to him and find out what God wants us to do. Here's what happens. Jehoshaphat, just in case you're looking for kid names, there you go, write it down, um, said, yes, the Lord speaks through him, talking about this prophet, like, ooh, good idea. So the king of Israel, King Jehoshaphat of Judah, and the king of Edom went to consult with Elisha, the man of God. 
Like, hey, we need God's help. Perhaps you've done this before, where you ran into a need and you're like, God, we need you. Can you do something? And I love, I love how Elisha responds. Why are you coming to me? Go to the pagan prophets of your father and mother. Huh. If you're not personalized, okay, let's pretend. Let's say you have a problem. You're like, I know what to do with my problem. I need God to intervene. Let me call a pastor. You call one of the pastors. You call the office. Like, hey, I want to meet with the pastor. We got an issue going on. You meet, you meet. Hey, how about you meet with me? And you say, you know what, David, what we got, we got this problem. And my response to you is like, hmm, why don't you, why don't you go talk to your mom and dad about that? Or, or just some pretend medium or fortune teller. Why, why, why don't you just go do that? You know what, I, well, let's just not talk about how you'd respond to that. I don't think it would go well. Don't, don't lose the intensity of going and asking God, what do we do? And the man of God's like, why are you coming to me? Well, you know why he's saying that. Because if you were to study your history, these people who were in trouble have been ignoring God. Have been ignoring God, ignoring God, but then they had a problem. I don't know if you've ever been there. Let's hypothetically, hypothetically, say that you and I have been there. Where we've been like ignoring God, not paying attention to God. He's no big deal. But then we have this problem. We're like, God, I need you. Perhaps that's why you're even in church today. You're like, I've had this issue. I'm going this way. This is not good. God, I need you. And maybe you felt some shame about that or like, can I go to God if I've screwed up? Have you ever wondered that? I have. Have you ever wondered if you're like, can I trust God if I haven't been trusting God? Is he cool with me if I've been like, I don't care about you, I don't care about you, now I care about you. Is he cool with that? Well, yeah. He doesn't like it. But I love what one of the kings does when he's like, hey, why don't why don't you go somewhere else? I, look at his response if you keep reading. But King Joram of Israel said, no. Yeah. Okay, you're not loving it as much as I do, but I love this. No. It's like, hey, I know you've been ignoring God, so why don't you just keep ignoring God? And the king's like, no. No, for, for it was the Lord who called us three kings here. Only to be defeated by the king of Moab? No way, no way, no, no, no. So let me tell you something you know, but you need to be reminded of. If you've been ignoring God, you can stop. If you've been living life going, well, I'm focused on this and this. I mean, if you've been all about other things, whatever it be, and you've bought the lie, you're like, well, I got to clean up, do some things differently. And then eventually after this lines up after a certain amount of time, then God's going to be cool with talking to me. And no, no, I love what the king says. No, you know, that's almost a confession saying, all right, you're right. We have been ignoring God, but we're going to stop. I love it. I love it that we gather every weekend. Because you know what a part of this gathering is? It's an interruption. It's this forced interruption where I, got, I don't know how you and God have been doing lately. I don't know how often you talk to him or rely on him or trust him. But I love that, I love that God's like, hey, how about, uh, once a week I want you to get together uh, just in case you're ignoring me. And that's what was going on. So he's like, uh, no, we're not going to ignore at all. Uh, what Elisha keeps saying is, is worth uh, 
Well, I'll read it to you. Elijah replied, surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, by the way, who I'm not ignoring, like you have been. He's a little sassy if you're wondering. In fact, whom I serve, I wouldn't even bother with you. Yes, he's talking to kings. Kings. Who can be like, off with your head. He's sassy. I wouldn't even bother with you except for my respect for King Jehoshaphat of Judah. <laughs> but, but this is where it gets weird. So, uh, bring me a harp. If you, don't, if you don't read the Bible often, you miss out on some fun things. He's like, you've been ignoring God, and now you need God's help. I just want to point out that you've been ignoring God. And he's like, all right, you want me, you want, you want me to talk to God? You notice in his wording, Elisha, he seems to, uh, let's use today's terminology, uh, be triggered I mean, you catch that. He's sassing the kings. He's like, I wouldn't even help you if I didn't like him. That's what he says to them. I think he's amped up a little bit. I think he's frustrated a little bit with them. And so he's like, you want me to talk to God? All right. But I'm going to need a harp. We talk about this often. It's why, it's why our church values music so much. Because Elisha knew something. Our faith is impacted by our focus. He knew that he needed to talk to God. He knew that he wasn't going to make some stuff up. And if, if they're going to, because he's a part of the group. You understand he's a part of the group. He's a part of the group who, who doesn't have water. And so there's a little bit of a, yeah, I'd like God to intervene here. But I think he's frustrated. There's stuff going on. And that's why our problems are, our things in life have a tendency to make us uh, put our focus on. Do you just realize how, how much around life you and I, our focus is just everywhere? If you're, if you're a teenager, oh my goodness, I feel bad for you. Just, you, you, you wake up and it's like, okay, I, I got to focus on however many classes that you're taking. And, and the peer pressure at school or wherever you are, the, what people think. Then you got social media just kind of bringing even more of that in. Then you've got phones that are connected to everywhere. And then you've all this pressure, all this focus nonstop. And then you grow up and you're like, oh, I bet when I grow up I'll get more focus. No, sorry, no, doesn't work that way. Because you add people. And when you add people, you add more options for more distraction. And so if any of us, I think we all agree, is it not difficult to be focused on the right thing when you should be focused on the right thing? And I thought I'd show you an example of a lack of focus. It's awesome. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to commentate here. Uh, you'll watch this road that appears to be decent turn into not decent. Um, this is a sinkhole, but time elapses. So, oh, yep, yeah, he... He didn't see the giant hole. Now, now you'll even notice this guy, this guy goes over not seeming to be concerned about the guy in the hole. He's just staring. There's a lot of problems if you watch this video over and over and over again. You may have missed a part because it may have been blurry to you, but I've watched it enough. Do you, you know what the guy on the moped was doing? He was on his phone. Oh, I've seen some of you. On, oh, don't, don't hate immediately. You watch people, right? And he was on his phone. If you watch the video, he was on his phone and misses this giant crater. And I think he probably had some injuries. I don't know. Can we just safely assume that there was something that 
got cut or broken. <laughs> and can we transfer that into our regular life that I think many of us are doing the exact same thing? And typically we don't cry out to God till when? When we're in the hole. And when we're hurt and broken, then we're like, God, and I'm not saying you shouldn't cry out to God then. I'm just saying, how about avoiding the hole? It's less painful. Uh, there was a sermon written a long time ago. Uh, it made it into our Bibles. Uh, the sermon actually was so good, it eventually got put into letter format and sent out to tons of churches all the way to now you and I have this sermon. It's called Hebrews. And in that sermon... Some things were written that I think still apply. I know they still apply. Let me show you this. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard. Listen carefully. You focus. You catch it. Or we may drift away from it. If you've ever found yourself, like myself, where you have a tendency to drift because you're focused on something else, so you're just kind of captivated by something else, so there's wisdom years and years and years ago that if you don't want to lose trust in God, you got to stay focused on God. And one of the ways to do it is to listen carefully to the truth. If you keep reading in the sermon, there's even more. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. Let's not get distracted. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Don't miss out. Don't miss out on actually living a focused life. I know nowadays we're like, it's so crazy, all of us are just not focused. But if you've ever wanted to trust God, if you've ever wanted God to speak to you, if you've ever actually wanted to live a life where like, yeah, God and I talk regularly, um, it's not audible, but we talk regularly, and I lean on him, if you've ever wanted that, and you don't experience it, I'll give you one of the reasons. It's a focus issue often. The more you focus on God, the more you hear from God. If you're married, you're like, uh-huh. The more you focus on your spouse, the more you understand your spouse. The more you focus on anyone in your life, the more you actually begin to understand how they think and operate, it's the same with God. And Elisha knew it. So he's like, all right, we got to talk to God. So bring the harp. <laughs> Watch this. While the harp was being played, it wouldn't have done anything for me, but it did it for him. Okay, the power of the Lord came upon Elisha. Everyone gets focused their own ways, but, but don't disregard this. Say, oh, that's convenient or a coincidence. No, it's not. When you focus on God, you will begin to hear from God. The harp is not the weirdest part of this story, just so you know. Uh, I'll, I'll show you. I'll show you weird. Uh, so Elijah hears from God. Uh, he said, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of trenches. You're acting like you're like, yeah, that makes total sense, David. If I am dying of starvation and I am dehydrated and I'm going to battle, it makes a lot of sense, David, to spend the whole entire day digging trenches. Mm-hmm, yep, logical, right? No, it's not. If you're lost in the hills, don't spend the whole day digging trenches. 
I mean, if you ever watch my show, Survivor, whatever, you're like, yeah, yeah, save your calories. You're like, okay, let's do this in a slow way. I can link something for you. Maybe this will help. Why? Why in the world does God say, all right, all right, you're going to die of a lack of water if I don't intervene, I'm gonna intervene. And so I'm about to intervene, and so get ready for me to intervene. And it's just like you and I have prayed in our problems, God, would you do something, would you show up? And God's like, yes, dig some trenches. Let me show you the link. If you were to read in the New Testament, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Here's my observation. Real faith doesn't skip the trench digging. And many of us are trying to. Many of us are like, I don't have what I need, God. I'm thirsty. Can you just like put those giant containers of Gatorade just everywhere? Can, can you just like show up with this? Oh, can, you just, can you just, like a miracle, God, can you just put it all right there on the table? He's like, yeah. But you're going to have to make a table first. Many of us are trying to trust God. Listen. Without trusting God. Many of us are trying to say, God, I need you. I want you. And, and, and I don't know if I trust you. It's hard to have a relationship that's good, that's healthy. If you're not willing to do anything in the relationship, right? God's the same way. So what does it look like? What does it look like? What does it, what's required? If you, if you say, you know what, I, I, I really want to trust God. I don't want this to be some religious thing. I want this to be a real relationship with God. How do I begin? What, what's, what's, what's important in digging trenches? David, let's take it out of the, the metaphor, the analogy. How do, what do we, okay. Submission. Perhaps one of the most unpopular words in today's culture. Submission. In fact, some of you may have just turned me off. If you want to trust God, you've got to figure out if you're going to submit to his authority. If, if you would, I I'm hoping you, you're fountain springers. You have imaginations. Turn your imagination on. Okay? Just get there. It's time to imagine. Let's put ourselves, let's put ourselves with those three armies in that valley full of trenches now. You imagine they'd be exhausted, right? They haven't had water. They're, they're scared. God said, yes, I'm going to help you. Doesn't tell them what he's going to do. But yes, I'm going to help you. I need you to dig trenches. So they spend all day, I think it would have taken a while, they filled the valley, according to Scripture, with, with trenches. Now let's put ourselves with them. They dug the What would you do after you spent all day doing what God asked you to do and you dug the trench? You'd be like, I'm going to stand here because I have no idea what he's going to do with this trench. I just know it plays a part. Some of us would have been bright enough, ooh, I bet he's going to put water in it. So you, like anyone, like, I'm going to stand here and wait. If you follow the story, I bet some of them went to bed, but I bet some of them just stood by the trench, probably the one they dug, and they just stood there. All right. Okay. It's ready. 
Maybe you go back and doctor it up a little bit. Maybe it wasn't good enough for him yet to put some water into it. Okay, now it's good. It's good. Sun's going down. It's going to be hard to look at the trench in the middle of the night with no light. So eventually you probably put your shovel down and be like, all right, oh, I know what he's going to do. It's like Christmas. We can't be out here and watch it. Right? We got to go to bed and go to sleep. So they go to their tents and they lay down and go to sleep. Maybe some of them didn't go to sleep. They're still waiting to hear like water. They wake up. Sun comes up. What would you do? You go out to the trenches. Oh. There's no water. If you read the story, the water wasn't there when they woke up. See, when I talk to you about submission, most of us are like, cool, cool, all right. I'll submit one time. Faith will call you to dig and ask you to wait. And this is why everyone doesn't follow Jesus. And if you ever talk to a Christian who's willing to be super honest with you, they'll say, I hate this. I'll tell you, as a reverend, I hate this. So they look at the trenches, nothing. They go to bed, nothing. They wake up to nothing, just trenches that they dug. Would, would you admit that perhaps maybe some doubt starts, yeah, what's God going to do? I, I, we're going to die now, oh no, oh no. Are you willing to submit to the authority of God and wait on him? Let me show you what happens. It's a miracle. The next day, at about the time when the morning sacrifice was offered, don't miss that, at about the time when the sacrifice was offered, not when they first got up, just making it clear, when they sacrificed, not one time, water suddenly appeared. It was flowing from the direction of Edom and soon. There was water everywhere. So cool. And many of us, you ready for this? Many of us are asking God to make the water show up everywhere before we dig a trench. And you know what happens if water shows up everywhere? If there's not a trench, the water goes away. So oftentimes when God is asking us, would you submit to my authority? Would you just trust me? Would you put some confidence in me? Perhaps he's preparing a vessel for the miracle. Meanwhile, we're looking at it, but that's hard work. Uh-huh. <laughs> Relationships are hard work. But they're worth it, aren't they? If it's a good one. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate some people who have uh, dug a trench. God stepped in their life and they decided to submit their life to God. That's, that's what digging a trench is. Is when you say, you know what, God, this doesn't make full sense. And, and my friends or my family are going to think some weird things. They're going to think some things. They might think I'm going to be some Jesus freak. They're going to think I'm some religious nut. And, and, and they're going to think it's weird. But when you decide to submit your life to God, giving him authority, that's what people, when they get baptized, are saying. They're saying, I, 
I'm submitted to God. I trust him. Dig and wait. I think there's a lot of confusion of what baptism is. I have enough conversations that I I think our our view of baptism can often be broken. Perhaps someone taught you something and you didn't get your idea of baptism from the Bible. So I'd like, I'd like what, I don't know what your background is, but if, if you've never read from the Bible, if you've never seen from the Bible what baptism is, I, I want to show it to you just using Jesus. I, I think he's the best example. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. If you ever heard of John the Baptist, now you know why. But John tried to talk him out of it. Uh, kind of like, What? Uh, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, so why are you coming to me? And this is critical. But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. Baptism doesn't save you. Jesus didn't need saved, are we clear? But do you see this submissive, submissive posture? He's like, no, 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 no. I'm here, and you hear it more. Jesus says this more often. I'm here to do the work of the Father. Submissive. It's, it's incredible. See, baptism is, is powerful because it's, it's submission. It's, it's not someone else's decision because if someone else decides it for you, you didn't submit. You clear? Baptism doesn't save you. That's not what it, it's, it's an act, a, a public act of I am submitted. Here, here. Baptism is a public declaration that I live my life in submission to God. And when you do this, he forgives your sins. He fills you up. And you live under his authority, but with his power. No longer having to just sit in your shame and your regret and be like, oh my goodness, I've got to be a perfect person in order to maybe one day make it to heaven. No, you're you're submitted to God. So that's why you and I, here in a moment, when people get baptized, we celebrate. They're not saying, hey everybody, I'm perfect, yay! In fact, that's typically the number one worry of someone getting baptized what if I screw up well they will no it's it's a person saying I am submitted to God he is my authority he is my savior he's my redeemer he loves me and I live for him that's what someone who gets baptized means so so listen uh before we go after this some of you and it's it's funny but awesome you came to church not planning to get baptized. You were coming to watch someone else get baptized, or maybe you just had no idea, and you're like, oh, no. But you've never actually publicly submitted to God. So, so many of you are supposed to get baptized today, whether you planned on it or not. And you're like, oh, but David, you talked about trenches, and I did not bring a shovel. Oh, we brought your shovel for you. We've got a change of clothes for you. We've got a towel for you. Because we know oftentimes 
We aren't focused on God till we kind of show up to church and then we begin to listen to him and we begin to actually focus on him and we're like, oh, I think he's telling me to get baptized. Oh no, what's that mean? Can I do that today? I didn't go to a class. Okay, guess what? You just went to baptism class. Good job. So some of you who didn't plan on it, you should get baptized today. Some of you have never actually submitted your life to Jesus. So before we celebrate, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. So here's, I just want to pray for you. Uh, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And if you have never submitted your life to God, and you'd like to now, I'm not going to make you do anything weird. I, I, I want to help you. So if, if you've never submitted your life to God and accepted forgiveness of your sins and said, you know, God, take control, then let me give you some words. They're not magic words. Maybe there are words you need to speak to God. Just privately speak these. God, God, I, I submit to you. I give you my life. I declare to you that you now have authority over my life. God, would you take away all of my shame and all of my regret, all of my sins? Would you wash them away? And would you enter my life as my leader, my savior, my Lord. And God, in the moments that I try to take it back, will you remind me that you are the best authority? God, we, as a whole church, acknowledge that you change lives. So God, we celebrate these next moments, we celebrate what you have done and we acknowledge that there is no better person to follow than you. We love you and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.